Hello, welcome to America Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Trudatis. Today we're going to talk about America's primary temperature taken, Truth Wins, Arizona, Michigan, and GOP's Ronna McDaniel, January 6th and Liz Cheney, and Biden's Destroy American Freedom Agenda. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello, welcome to America Can We Talk in today's first five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Again, my very wonderful listeners, I thank you so much for your comments and notes and emails. Yes, I'm doing this show uh, on vacation, and so uh, not our home studio. This is our studio we are creating where we're staying out here in California. Um, and I appreciate you tuning in. Same show uh, every day with different look to it. I also want to mention to you that um, on the show today, I want to go a little bit deep dive. I, I want to address my first five, a little bit deep dive on what happened in the primaries yesterday. And it's not just about what happened in the primaries uh, as much as what is the message the GOP voters are trying to send to uh, not just their elected officials and to their state government, but actually to the Republican Party and to the Democrat Party. What are the messages the voters are trying to send? As you know, if you paid very much attention, yesterday was a big, big, big primary day. Um, and there were uh, places where it seemed like there was a lot at stake, a lot of um, serious uh, races to be decided. So I want to focus today, we'll focus on Arizona, uh, also some races in Michigan, uh, Arizona, there's just a great deal to talk about. Um, and then I'm going to focus you on how the party seems to be addressing what the voters are trying to say. But what I want to hit in the first five is this point. Too many commentators and too many voters and too many people speaking about politics try to put the issue on who wins primaries and the question, are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump? Or are you, you know, do you like Trump, you don't like Trump, as though he, the person, uh, is the issue. And while there are many voters, myself included, who voted for him, who support him, who completely believe he won the 2020 election, he was robbed of that election, the issues are much bigger than that. The issues are much bigger than like Trump or not like Trump. And the reason I say that is, you know, Donald Trump is, is around and he'll be around for a while, but he won't be here forever. What's falling on, what is the burden on, the responsibility of voters in this country at this time is to stand up for something much bigger than just Donald Trump. What his agenda was, the MAGA agenda, his agenda was and is the MAGA agenda, standing up for America, standing up for things like secure borders, standing up for elections that have integrity that you can count on, standing up for the idea of America as a country rooted in freedom and free markets, capitalism, rooted in the idea of the worth and value of each individual life, rooted in the idea that we Americans are, must be the world leader in showing the world that we can have a country rooted on the ideas, created in the ideas that were spelled out in our founding documents, the idea of each individual having the right to live in life, liberty and their pursuit of happiness, their version, their dreams, what they want. These magnificent, internationally vi uh, vibrant and vital ideas, they are really what's on the ballot right now. The idea of whether or not you can have a country where individuals have the right to live in freedom, where you don't have the government sending out bulletins and warnings about things you can't speak about because otherwise you might be a terrorist. We want to live in a country where you have the idea that if you work hard and you build your business and you build your dreams, that you mostly get to keep the fruits of your labor. 
that we want a government, we want a country, a, not a totalitarian country controlled by a big government, centralized government that other countries have. We want to have that notion of individuals with God-given rights to live in freedom in this country. That's what's at stake in 2022 and 2024 and 2026 and 2028 for a long, long time because where we are in this country right now is that we have a radical left, a Democrat party, not anything like the Democrat party your grandmother used to vote for, or maybe you even voted for. And I've acknowledged in many speeches I've given and on this show before, I voted Democrat all the way through college and all the way through law school. Because to me, what I thought was the Democrat Party, you know, they stand up for the little guy. They are the ones who are going to stand up and help the workers. And there was a lot of in my college education, a lot of depicting of America's uh, industry, America's corporations as kind of inherently evil. And so the idea of being a Democrat used to be that you were the one who wanted to stand up for the people and for help with the little guy and have a government to try to help people. And those were very appealing ideas in my, you know, ignorant youth. As I grew up and recognized that number one, those ideas really never worked. But number two, where we are today in this year, 2022, and will be for the foreseeable future is that our country is facing the question, do we want to have a free America governed by honest elections governed by the founding ideas of the guarantee of individual liberty, which can only be played out in a country that's dedicated to free markets and capitalism and freedom. Do we want to have maximum freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of movement? You have to understand that's what's really at stake in these elections. Donald Trump is a person who stood up in his campaign in 2015 and 2016, in his four years as president, for those ideas. He stood up for the idea America is great, is inherently great, and can only be great if we hold on to those ideas. We hold on to, for example, they were manifested in fair trade deals, making sure we didn't have trade deals that disadvantaged the American worker. We didn't have border policy that simply under the Obama-Biden team, and then now again, sadly under Biden, were simply abandoning the southern border. Donald Trump stood up for the idea of America. So in these 2022 primaries, which I'm going to turn to in a moment, talk about in just a moment in the show, it's not just Donald Trump. Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot, but it's too narrow and too simple-minded to just say, oh, Donald Trump won or the Donald Trump opponents won. What Donald Trump is doing is endorsing people who will stand up for the ideas of the Make America Great Agenda. And the Make America Great Agenda was nothing less than the idea of standing up for the, um, the promise of America's founding, that you have the right to live in individual freedom. America is the only country rooted on, based on, created by those values. And we are still what the country, the world looks to. The world is begging to have us show them that we can actually survive and thrive under a, an idea of governance of freedom, where the people are the sovereign, not the government isn't the sovereign, not a royal monarchy. The people are the sovereign and we govern ourselves. This is what Trump brought back and, and on a whole host of issues tried to put in place. And where we are today is a left the anti-American left, the Democrat Marxist party, and they can no longer deny it. It doesn't matter if Democrats don't put an M up by their name and say Marxist or an S by their name and say socialist, or they don't actually join the Democrat Socialist of America's party. The Democrat party is pushing, pushing a radical leftist agenda. And before you think I'm letting Republicans off the hook, there are far too many people in elected office, state and federal level, that find it much easier to go along with the mob that is the American left, give in to their ideas, or just surrender to them, or want to negotiate a tiny little bit of freedom. They want to just kind of extract out a little bit of freedom, and these Republicans otherwise will let the Democrats have their way. There's a massive problem with the uniparty in America, the uniparty that's simply saying, we the uniparty, we run everything. And we are Democrats and Republicans, but we get to Washington or we get to whatever state capital you're in, in my case, Austin, and we kind of run everything. And we don't want these pesky peasant 
citizens, these pesky people speaking up and standing up for their rights. We want to circumvent them, we want to shut them down. We do have a uniparty problem. But wrapping up my first five, I'll say this. Overall, the primaries yesterday in America were a great signal that the American people believe in and understand exactly what Donald Trump was saying in 2015 and 2016, what he's pushing for now, which is an America, a strong America, a free America, where we do not capitulate, do not give in to what the left is trying to do. We do stand up for ourselves. They were victories overwhelmingly for Trump-endorsed candidates, but we lose some of the importance of those primaries if we just think they were a yes on Trump or no on Trump. They're yes on freedom or no on freedom. Yes on America or no on America. Very consequential primaries yesterday. I'll dive into them in just a moment, but that for now, my friends, is, is today's first five. Okay, so um, I'm telling you, first of all, I'm doing, as I mentioned, I'm doing this show from our vacation. So I don't have my usual setup here. I have, I'd like to thank very much Emilio, my producer, who is uh, helping along here as we're trying to go through all this um, and helping this, uh, program get rolling on time and work on time. Um, and I want to, on the idea of what we're uh, going to be talking about today, I'm going to talk about the primaries. And again, it is the much larger point of recognizing what these people, what these candidates were saying and who in, the, in their respective states and the national level, who was mocking, ridiculing, and failing to stand up for them. So I want to start with Arizona. Arizona had one of the, really was one of the bellwether races. And as of this time, as the show got started, still not finally called. But it was a race for governor uh, in the state, of, or actually it was the primary in Arizona uh, to decide who is going to be the GOP candidate, the Republican candidate for governor. So Carrie Lake was the uh, hands-on favorite, uh, the one who was going to, seemed, up until a couple weeks ago, seemed to be the one headed to becoming, to winning the GOP primary um, in Arizona. And so you have, you know, you have an, a, an incumbent Republican Governor Ducey, he's term limited, and you had Kerry Lake backed by Trump and backed by the uh, clearly just, you know, double digit winning and polling. Uh, and then there's another, the other person, a, you know, many call him Rhino, but her last name was Robeson, R-O-B-S-O-N, uh, Karen Robeson. She was endorsed by Mike Pence. The reason I want to get to why I think this race, this race is such a bellwether is Carrie Lake was winning clearly all the polling showing she's way ahead. And then they started all the, you know, in the last week or so, well, you know, it seems to be tightening. We don't know yet. And now, as of now, we don't have a clear winner announced. We still have uh, Lake and Robeson neck and neck. We have um, both camps kind of tried to claim victory last night and said, well, we don't know yet. So where we are waiting for the outcome. But I'm going to tell you, this race smells a lot like what the, the, the uh, election fraud manipulating crowd, uh, it, it smells like an outcome of what they do. It smells like, well, you know, wow, sure is getting closer and uh, we don't really know. And then they have, you know, all sorts of uh, polling being done that, that seems like maybe Carrie Lake's lead wasn't so great. And if you listen to my show at all or and many other people's shows, you've had experts report on the capacity for people who wish to uh, manipulate electronic election machines to work with algorithms to have a, you know, have it decided ahead of time that we're going to have a, um, you know, a race that looks pretty close. But if you understand, and it's indisputable, this is true. In fact, the actual U.S. government has admitted this is true, that electronic voting machines are vulnerable to hacking. The, the uh, CISA, the federal agency that first tried to say after the 2020 elections how, oh, safest election in American history, and, and then had to in the last few months say, well, actually, it turns out electronic voting machines are hackable. They said that. So back to this, this is very much a pattern we tried, we watched in 2020, where um, you could see the um, algorithm having been set, and that means just setting numbers, and so they're going to try to decide the outcome ahead of time, and they can control the way that the uh, electronic voting machines are tabulating votes. Um, and my guess right now is that Carrie Lake won this primary race in Arizona, hands down. My guess is, and that because she urged people to vote on election day, don't vote early. All those early ballots 
sitting inside electronic voting machines, completely vulnerable to hacking and manipulation and changing. So many, many MAGA candidates, Carrie Lake and others, urge people, don't vote early, vote on election day. Because if you vote on election day, as happened with Donald Trump in 2016, when he won, he won so many votes that the uh, that his day of voting numbers, they, they just overwhelmed the algorithm that had been set to try to make it so, so Trump would lose and Hillary Clinton would win. So back where we are today, uh, undecided about Kerry Lake. Um, but I will tell you that in, in addition to the fact that we have to wait and find out, it appears this race seems to be like other races where the um, algorithm was set and, and Carrie Lake may have just overwhelmed the algorithm with her um, day of uh, voting turnout. It seems like, and, and the other reason you are likely to believe that, are some of the other races um, in Arizona and how strongly they came out um, for the conservative candidates. One, Blake Masters won the Arizona Republican U.S. Senate primary. Blake Masters, um, and again, I want to, it's not just endorsed by Trump. Trump is not picking who's his favorite personality. He's picking who will stand with the ideas of America that underlie the whole MAGA agenda. So Blake Masters wins the Arizona Republican U.S. Senate primary. And um, he won it quite handily. handily um, and he will face us, the incumbent Senator Mark Kelly uh, in the fall. Um, but this guy... Um, yeah, uh, Matt, this guy, Blake Masters, uh, easily won the primary. And so I, I ra raise that to say, you know, if, if, if the public is trying to tell the party, you know, we're sick of hearing about election fraud, we don't like the MAGA agenda, we don't like Trump, then this guy, Blake Masters, would not have won the Republican primary. And the question is, in the state of Arizona, as one example, the Republican voting base turns out turns out and, and chooses who they want. So, you know, it'd be logical since Blake Masters won the Arizona primary for U.S. Senate so easily, a statewide race, probably those same voters who like Blake Masters would also like Carrie Lake. I mean, it's, it's the same people. They're trying to send the same message. So Blake Masters wins that. Um, and um, I'm trying to get the numbers really quickly. I don't have it in front of me, but you know, Blake Masters has Trump's endorsement, shows up and wins it. Also in Arizona, um, there was a really key race, again, a, a temperature taker, a marker of how the voters are actually thinking in that state. So there was a, um, a gentleman running uh, for secretary of state named Mark Fincham, F-I-N-C-H-E-M, Mark Fincham running for Arizona GOP secretary of state. And he, again, is one who's saying, like Trump, like Carrie Lake, like many, many other people, we have a massive problem with election fraud in this country, and we have to try to address it. We have to address it. We can't just ignore it or hope next time maybe the bad guys won't do this. So you had this guy, Mark Fincham, winning the Arizona GOP Secretary of State primary, um, which is significant because the Secretary of State is the one who oversees elections. So Secretary of State in Arizona is going to be the one who, and he's been saying all along, Mark Finchman has been saying all along, the election 2020 was at least problematic, probably rigged, doesn't believe the outcome as reported uh, by the state of Arizona, which allegedly went, which went with uh, Biden in 2020. So the Arizona voters uh, picking the GOP Secretary of State picked Mark Fincham who is an advocate for election integrity, who believes election fraud was a massive problem. So those are two statewide races in which the person challenging election integrity, the person siding with Trump, believing that we have a serious problem on election integrity, those people won. And I'm saying this because I want to tell you, I want to back up what my assessment is about Carrie Lake. I don't think that Carrie Lake, who's been strong, outspoken, relentless on the subject of election integrity, uh, is really neck and neck with a you know rhino-induced, rhino-endorsed, uh, backed by Pence person, Robeson, who only very, very late in the campaign said, well, yeah, I, I mean, because she realizes if the voters think 
she said, well, I think we have to, you know, look at election integrity. I mean, we, she has some mumble, silly, nonspecific, you know, kind of a, just tossing a bone to the people concerned about election integrity. And that's who the voters uh, supposedly got so close. It's not clear if Carrie Lake or Robeson won. I'm telling you, if they're going to come up and saying that this Karen Robeson person uh, beat Carrie Lake, uh, Karen Lake, uh, excuse me, if Carrie Lake loses and this Karen Robeson allegedly wins, I don't think the voters of Arizona should put up with that. Not when you look at other statewide races. Again, Fincham wins the GOP primary for secretary of state. Blake Masters wins the GOP primary for Senate. Two races in which the voters in the state of Arizona have the opportunity to choose between someone who's claiming we have a huge problem with election fraud and someone trying to ignore it or deny it. And they chose the people who are saying fight on election fraud. That's who Arizona voters pick. So we're back to this. Carrie Lake, we'll find out hopefully later today whether Carrie Lake pulls it out uh, or let they admit that she won. Um, there was also a race too, which again, in the case of the mood of the voters in the state of Arizona. Now this wasn't a statewide race, those first two were statewide. This isn't a statewide race, but still in Arizona, there's Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers, who's just been a, you know, it's a good word a tool, a, you know, a fool and a tool uh, going ahead. And, and this is an, a, a Republican uh, who decided he'd been Speaker of the House, but Arizona State GOP Speaker of the House decided to run for a seat in Arizona uh, in the Arizona Senate. So, you know, popular guy, clearly statewide name recognition. He's been the Speaker of the House and he's been up there all the time complaining about Donald Trump, denying election fraud. He actually testified at the January 6th committee against Trump, testifies at the January 6th committee against Trump. And this guy, this guy, GOP housemaker Rusty Bowers, goes for a primary. You would think now, again, because he's running for a state Senate seat is not the whole state, but it's still a significant portion of voters, of GOP primary voters who know who he is. They know what he did. They know he's been denying election fraud happened. They know he's been he's been helping the January 6th committee attack Trump and he gets beat. He gets beat by the Trump backed primary challenger named David Farnsworth. Again, when the voters have a chance to say what they think by how they vote, they're saying we don't like the Republicans ignoring and denying election fraud. We don't like how they're acting. We don't want them to do this to us. This is really important to understand when you break down the Carrie Lake and, and Karen Robeson race, how that all come out. I'm telling you that how it came out was that the voters in Arizona, to the extent they could, to the extent they could, they said we do not like Republicans denying election fraud. We're standing behind the people who are standing up. We're standing behind not just Trump endorsed, they are Trump endorsed, but they're standing behind people who will not tolerate this election fraud. And you know, this is a pretty brave thing, by the way, for any candidate to do in this era when you have the media. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I read trying to distill down and get one fact or one data point or something or other. I read these stories and, and all of the left-wing media will, I mean, this, the articles are loaded with and this, you know, absurd myth, continue conspiracy theory foolishness about the elections of 2020. Anyone who stands up and says, yes, there was election fraud in 2020, it was outcome changing, it was outrageous, they are pilloried, mocked, ridiculed, demeaned by countless media sources. So if you're running for office and you're willing to say that, you're willing to say, okay, you know, I'll take the slings and arrows. I'm going to stand for what's true. And this, the voters are rewarding these people. The voters in Arizona are rewarding these people. They're saying, yes, we want you to stand. This is why I don't buy that Carrie Lake and Karen Robes are neck and neck. Who knows? The voters in that state very much wanted. Oh, there's actually a little ditty to tell you if I can find it quickly um, on this. Maybe not. Anyway, um, this um, whole notion of the voters are tired. As the media tries to say, the Republican voters are tired of hearing about election fraud. They want to move forward, as Mike Pence keeps saying, and other Republicans, they want to move forward. They don't want to hear it. No, 
when the voters get a chance to pick between someone who will stand up against election fraud and someone who just says, well, golly gee, I know they cheated, but can we just let it go? Or denies entirely the cheating. The people are picking the fighters. They're picking the truth tellers. They're picking the brave ones. And that's what Carrie Lake is. A, a few other quick uh, things to tell you about. I got to tell you that there's, there was a um, great race uh, in the state of Michigan. And this is just for a little old US House seat. But one reason it was really cool uh, was that among the people, the uh, members of the Congress who voted to impeach Donald Trump, members of Congress who are Republican, who voted to impeach Donald Trump, uh, one was a guy named Pete Mayer. And, and his last name, if you happen to see it in the media, is M-E-I-J-E-R, but Pete Mayer. Um, and he, Republican from Michigan, uh, went to Congress and he voted to impeach Trump. He was challenged by a guy named John Gibbs. And of all really fun things, John Gibbs was here in Texas, I think like three weeks ago. I mean, my husband my husband couldn't go to this one event. Usually we go to all our events together. But I went to this event where John Gibbs, who is running, uh, who is just an extraordinary candidate. So John Gibbs, primary challenger to this, you know, impeachment voting Republican named Pete Mayer. And John Gibbs, as a quickest background, because he was so fun to listen to at this event, he's um, he's a Black American. He is amazingly uh, resourceful. Among the many things in getting up, you know, these fundraisers, the candidate gets up and tells a life story. Among the things he was telling about was realizing he was kind of interested in the language, Japanese, like he don't know why, kind of drawn to learning it. So in college, which, you know, whatever his other major was, he studied Japanese became fluent, which is a very difficult language to learn if you're a native English speaker. Not only became fluent, decided to go live in Japan. He became a missionary in Japan, went to Japan to spread Christianity, speaks fluent Japanese, which as I say, very hard language to learn if it's not your native language. I mean, he's had this life of just doing what he believed in. I mean, just and being led by his interests, by his beliefs. Uh, he came back. He actually worked in the Trump administration. Um, and so that was a cool thing. I mean, I, I'm going to get him on the show. I, we exchanged contact information. I'm going to invite him on the show. I'm sure he'll want to come. Um, and he's anyway, he, this guy, John Gibbs, you should look him up. Michigan primary beat Pete Mayer. So he won the primary again. And John Gibbs hands down gets it. Of course, there was election fraud. And of course, there was outcome changing election fraud. He gets this. The, I'm telling you, people, what I really think is the American people are more up to speed. They're more ahead of and more alert to the truth about election fraud than many of our elected officials and even than many of our party leaders. I think party leaders, I, I know actually for a fact, party leaders, GOP party leaders at state and federal levels are pushed around by consultants, by the political consultants that say, well, you know, you don't want to be really saying there was election fraud. Probably shouldn't say that. Why don't you just say, we'll work on election integrity next time. The consultant class that holds the key to lots of money, lots of donations, tells the party leaders in the states and the federal level, you know, you really shouldn't be talking election fraud too much. And so they shut up. And I'm telling you, the voters are awake. They want someone to stand up about election fraud, regardless of how the media acts, regardless of how the GOP acts, regardless of any other input. People want fair elections. I'm going to interrupt myself here. I have a few more elections to talk about, but I want to quickly say for our radio listeners, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show you're listening to is called America Can We Talk? We have a website, americacanwetalk.org. You're about to go off to a three-minute commercial break on radio. Thank you for Brady and Radio for carrying this show. Come back after three minutes. I'll be right here talking for a whole other half an hour. Love having you listen. Go to our website. You can listen to every single word, past interviews, everything right there at americacanwetalk.org. Okay, so Pete Mayer, uh, got, Pete Mayer got defeated big time by John Gibbs in Michigan. And... Um, and that's just fabulous news. That's another message. And again, recognize Arizona, that's one state we talked about. That, that's kind of more, you know, it's viewed as a conservative state. It's in the Southwest. Michigan, I mean, you have to have, and people even use the expression, well, she or he is a Michigan Republican. I grew up in New York State. People say, well, they're New York Republicans. These are Michigan Republicans. Michigan Republicans who get to vote in the Michigan primary. And they said, Mayor, Pete Mayor, you're out. Get out of here. We don't like how you treated Donald Trump. We don't like that you voted for that 
utterly unjustified impeachment. And John Gibbs, black American, beyond, he is so interesting. You, I, I can't wait to meet him. I'm going to show you love him. Anyway, I love that they did that. Also, uh, in Michigan, uh, the Trump-backed candidate for governor, uh, a woman named Tudor Dixon, T-U-D-O-R, excuse me, yeah, Tudor Dixon. First of all, I really like this. She happens to be really pretty, which isn't the reason to vote for her. But, you know, they, it's amazing how many people who don't pay attention to politics and they think the Democrat governor in Michigan, she's kind of pretty, you know, she seems pretty. And so that's a reason to vote. But anyway, Tudor Dixon easily wins Republican um, nomination. And, and so this is a great thing. And she was, again, Trump endorsed. I also want to mention about, you know, these people who voted for uh, in, these Republicans in Congress who voted for impeachment. I'll make this point, a tiny little point about it. I made yesterday too, I think as well. If Trump had actually done something wrong, then it would be the correct, I mean, at the impeachable level, had actually committed an impeachable offense, then it would be the right thing for elected Republicans to at least look very seriously, be sure they understood the facts, really closely examine the law. But in that case, if, if a Republican or a Democrat really did something impeachable, then yes, the right, the correct vote is to follow the law. But everyone, and this is again, the people are way ahead of the politicians. They're way ahead of many people who talk about politics all the time. They understand Donald Trump, both times the Democrat majority house moved to impeach him. The American people understand there was absolutely no basis. They were farce impeachments. They were grotesquely unjust. They were ridiculous. Nothing Trump did was illegal and even got close to the standard for impeachment. And the people know that. The people know that. This is why they are punishing. They're getting rid of. I don't think that the... Um, of the Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. Uh, we have mayor out in Michigan. I think there is another one, a race still pending in Washington state where a Republican, a sitting Republican voted for impeachment and they're being challenged in a primary. So that's still to come. But I'm telling you, the people are sending the message to the politicians, if only they would wake up and pay attention. The people want truth. And that's really what won in, in these elections and what is gonna win going forward. The people want truth. They simply want truth. They'll take it, whatever the truth is. So um, that was like my uh, segment on Mar Arizona, Michigan, GOP's Ronna. All I'll say about Ronna McDaniel to wrap up this segment is Ronna McDaniel was on some uh, talk show and um, it was even a quasi-friendly one. I can't remember, the, uh, Stuart Barney. And she said essentially that she expects the Republicans to pick up maybe four seats in the fall elections, four. I'm telling you, if she, if we had a better leader of the Republican Party in Washington who would stand up and say what the voters on their party know is true, if they would say what the voters are saying by their votes, we'd have a, we'd have a whole different messaging coming out from Ronna McDaniel. A whole different message. She'd be saying, yeah, the, the American people are outraged by the abandonment of the southern border. They are outraged by election fraud that doesn't ever get fixed. They are outraged by our abandonment for our foreign policy, hurting America, the, what, what Biden did. They're, they're disgusted and outraged over Afghanistan or the emboldening of the Iranian mullahs. They are outraged by Biden continually kowtowing the Chinese. We need a leader. Ronna McDaniel, I mean, I don't know if she actually thinks we'll only pick up four seats or if she's already seen the results of the planned election theft in this fall. So she's going, oh, I guess you're only going to give us four seats. She ought to be saying, you know, I think we'll take 20 seats. I think we'll take a lot of seats. The American people are outraged. They're just as outraged as they were when Obama finished his first two years. We had the midterm elections in 2010. The Republicans, I can't remember the numbers I have in front of me, but massive numbers of votes the Republicans picked up because they had, um, I'm gonna try to get someone to send me that, uh, how many votes the um, Republicans picked up, uh, seats in the House Republicans picked up uh, in 2010. But I'm telling you, the, the wimpy, spineless leadership of Ronald McDaniel actually harms the Republican effort. She's not paying attention to what the people are saying. The people want election fraud exposed. They want it fixed. They want the border secure. They want a, a denouncement 
of the way Biden's running this country. And if she spoke with confidence and clarity and certainty, now maybe she doesn't want to say, I think we'll pick up 20. She can say, I think we'll pick up double digits. I think the American people are outraged at this ridiculous administration and the ridiculous path America's on under Biden. She could do so much. And I know you're listening, thinking, Debbie, don't you know she's a rhino? I know she's a rhino. I mean, I know who she's related to. I know who she is. I'm telling you, the voters are way ahead of the party leadership and understanding how much is at stake in this country. It's not just a particular Senate seat or House seat or a particular state and who's got the majority. It is America as founded on it's on the ballot and millions of Americans see it, but apparently not Ronna McDaniel, because she has to, should be expressing belief in the American people, the belief the American people have in what our country is, and that we will vote to preserve it and save it. <sighs> okay, I want to hit January 6th very briefly, um, and just to talk about Liz Cheney. And I will tell you folks, um, this I, I called this segment uh, January 6th and Liz Cheney. I'll tell you very quickly, you know, Liz Cheney has her own primary coming up. It's coming up in... Um, I don't remember when it is, a few weeks. Anyway, and she's down by, again, someone named Harriet Hageman by 26 points. I mean, the polling is, you know, absurd. The Republicans in Wyoming are livid with Liz Cheney because she's, you know, she's the second in command on the January 6th committee. She is a, um, she has shown herself to be more about herself, her ego, her family name, her, she, she, I'm, I'm Liz Cheney. You have to vote for me. My father was vice president. She has made a fool of herself in Washington. She continues to make a fool of herself in pushing this absurd agenda on January 6th, trying to claim there was an insurrection when there was no insurrection. And this is another place. The American people, the Republican primary voting base are miles ahead, years ahead of Liz Cheney in understanding what happened. They understand that the January 6th was a setup. They understand there was apparent FBI complicity. They understand it was an agitated planned event. They understand a lot of things and they're waiting for Liz Cheney to go, okay, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. But she can't do it. She can't. She cannot and that she made a mistake in signing on the January 6th committee and how, how she's conducted herself on the January 6th committee. Okay, so by the way, back to 2010, my, my happy friend did text me, the GOP, this is a kind of, the kind of blasting Ronna McDaniel should be anticipating. Should have to say these numbers, but the GOP picked up 63 House seats in 2010. And, and things are far worse now than they were under Obama during the first two years, the Obama administration. And Ron McDaniel says four seats, four seats. I mean, seriously, GOP picks up 63 in 2010. The voting base is right with the truth, right with the Trump agenda, right with the MAGA agenda, and Ron McDaniel is out to lunch. Okay, back to Liz Cheney. The reason I want to talk about her is that, you know, this happens to politicians, and I'm telling you, we lived in Washington, D.C. before we came to Texas. I went to law school there. I mean, I've been very, very involved in a variety of ways in politics for a long time. I can tell you what happens when people get elected. People I knew, then they get elected, and they're in Washington, and they're all of a sudden in the halls of power. They're in the House. They're a member, the 435 members of the House of Representatives or even more imperial, they are members of the Senate. A hundred people, the, the most important private exclusive club on the planet Earth, the US Senate. And they talk to each other, they consciously or unconsciously pick up and absorb a, a sort of just, just a, a, a self-importance, a wow, look who I am attitude. Not all of them, not all of them, but the vast majority the vast majority, House and Senate, and frankly, both parties. This isn't just a Republican problem. But I'm telling you, they get to Washington, and they, they breathe in the, the you know highfalutin royal air of being a member of Congress, whose voice is sought after for interviews, who get to go to the cocktail parties, who get invited to the right parties, who get to go to the embassy parties. And all of a sudden, their highest goal is stay in office and don't say things that rattles their team, which is the entire government. Don't offend, don't embarrass, don't talk down, just 
just be part of the royalty ruling this country. And they they literally, they are so marinated, my word I love to use, marinated in the viewpoints and the, and the attitudes of the powerful around them. They lose touch with what the American people think, what their own constituents think, what their own constituents are trying to say to them, what their own constituents want. They, all they can think about is, I got to stay in power and I got to sound like I'm really, really wise and important. So back to Liz Cheney. She got her you know, panties in a bunch, frankly, uh, because uh, President Trump wouldn't listen to her. You know, she's her, her father's daughter. She's a little bit of a hawk, you know, and you can have differences of opinion on foreign policy and when to send troops in. I mean, I realize these are, these are substantive, serious policy issues, but she got herself outraged because she thought she was arriving as the daughter of Dick Cheney to run the place up there. And, and Trump humiliated her more than once, doesn't take her advice. So she gets all wound up about January 6th. I want to mention some things about her simply outrageous about Liz Cheney. One is, one point she's been harping on is she's been saying that, you know, Trump is responsible for the not insurrection of January 6th because, says she, Trump refused to call in the National Guard. This is her argument that, you know, Trump should have had him ready ahead of time. He should have been organized. And, you know, Trump officials are saying, no, actually he was. And Trump cannot exclusively, unilaterally call in the troops. Trump can make a recommendation. And Trump did, as we've heard recently from Cash Patel and someone else who was there in the White House with Trump on January 3rd or 4th, when Trump said, I think we should have the National Guard or other troops available, he signed what he had to sign. And the other person who must sign that is, is Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. She wouldn't sign. So Trump did try to call on the troops. So Nancy, so back to this interview uh, with Liz Cheney, who's trying to hang that, you know, he didn't call on the troops around Trump's neck as though this proves him to be uh, somehow uh, have caused an insurrection. So she's asked about that and she's asked about it um, in this interview. And, and, and you know, well, the, his uh, Trump's colleagues are saying that, um, you know, he it was Christopher Miller's other one there. Um, the, uh, he's she's being asked by Brett Baer. Well, you know, there are several witnesses who say they met with Trump on January 4th and he offered some 20,000 National Guardsmen to protect the Capitol building on January 6th. But the offer was rejected. This is Brett Baer talking to Liz Cheney and says, is that true? And she says, no, blah, 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 blah. She's, she's saying, no, um, there was, uh, that, that didn't happen. Well, this little factoids came out recently and I really want you to consider within Liz Cheney's own head and heart, how she could be so flaming hypocritical. First of all, the Trump people who were there said that's exactly what happened. Trump says that's what happened. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't sign. But understand, this has come to light recently, but there was in the Washington Post, a Washington Post op-ed on January 3rd. So this is, you know, three days before the famous January 6th, January 3rd, there was an op-ed signed by every living former defense secretary, every living former defense secretary, all of whom said, there were 10 of them, involving the military in election disputes would cross into dangerous territory. They went on to threaten any military official who thought any use of the military might be a good idea, saying civilian and military officials who direct or carry out such measures would be accountable, including potentially facing criminal penalties for the grave consequences. So the op-ed in the Washington Post from these former defense officials, 10 former living defense secretaries, saying you can't use the troops, you can't call in troops for the Capitol on January 6th, turns out, as reported at The Federalist by uh, Tristan Justice, an article linked on our website at americacanwetalk.org, turns out that op-ed was organized by none other than Liz Cheney. So Liz Cheney can orchestrate ahead of time so you can't call on the troops. And then she can say it's an impeachable offense because Trump didn't call on the troops because it's evidence of his planned insurrection. This woman has no conscience. I mean, she's spewing and, you know, frothing at the mouth telling how important she is, but she's not. She's hypocritical. And in that particular case, she was part of the effort to keep the troops away from the Capitol 
when Trump was saying, yeah, this is what we need to do. As another little aside, two last little asides about Liz Cheney, um, I want to hit because I think they're both really important. Um, one is, so she can see she's headed for disaster in her uh, election. She's not going to win the primary. She's not going to be the GOP member of the House uh, any longer um, after next year from Wyoming. So in her last minute desperate attempts, uh, she's sending out mailings to Wyoming Democrats urging them to come across the aisle, vote for me, I'm about, you know, so uh, thinking that somehow the Democrats will save her from her own party. And that does not appear to be going too well, even though she made the effort. But the other thing, I just thought this was so indicative of the immaturity of her thought. She's, she's reaching out to get famous endorsements, you know, because they're fun. Famous endorsements are fun. So Kevin Costner, Costner, you know, the uh, really famous actor. He's a great actor. You know, he, he's in that uh, series Yellowstone that's so popular right now. So Kevin Costner leading in Yellowstone. She gets him to endorse her and send out this, you know, Kevin Costner standing there looking like he's uh, at the Yellowstone Ranch and saying, I'm going to lose Cheney or some stupid, I don't know what the slogan says. Point is, Kevin Costner, I mean, sorry, this is such a leftist, juvenile, Democrat kind of thing to do. Oh, I know, Liz Cheney thinks, I'll dazzle the voters with a Hollywood guy. Okay, Kevin Costner, in case you know us about him, in 2001, he went to Cuba. I guess he was filming something there. He had a seven-hour meeting, seven-hour meeting with Fidel Castro and left the meeting saying what a swell guy Castro is. The guy is a great actor and a political idiot, a political fool, a political dupe. I don't know what to call him. I'm, he's a great actor. And actually Yellowstone, you know, watched a little bit of it, not a lot of it. I know it's very popular. I, I love it because it's Western and kind of fun. The guy's a fool. And yet this is who Liz Cheney thinks, oh, he'll help me win. I see Kevin Costner. And, and, and it's just, it, it's really embarrassing. So last thing on, on that um, little January 6th thing and Liz Cheney is, so she was interviewed on, um, yeah, CNN, Jake Tapper, interviewing Jake Tapper. So he's asking her, you know, not looking too good for you in your primary. And she, first of all, she said very proudly, well, you know, this work on the January 6th committee is the most important work I've ever done. I mean, just as hot, regal, haughty, you know, we're, we're just so above, you know, truth. We don't care what the truth is. I'm saying, I mean, she didn't say that. So my words for her. She won't listen to the evidence. She won't let in the evidence that is very, very, uh, you know, that is vindictive of, of Nancy Pelosi, of the FBI. Nothing can come in other than what her agenda driven. I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to use this committee to take down Trump. That's where she's headed. The committee has to be used to take down Trump. And that's her goal. And so nothing that that might bear on the truth or open her eyes or let the American people know the whole truth, none of that can come in. So she's back to talking to Tapper and she's like, oh, I'm just so proud of myself. But the other thing she said though, which I thought was just amazing. So he asked, you know, he's saying, well, you know, people kind of float your name, you know, might you be thinking about running for president? Liz Cheney, running for president in 2024. To which she essentially said, she hasn't ruled it out. I mean, she didn't say yes, but this is a woman, I talk about marinating in your own ego and surrounding yourself with people who think like you, marinating and all of that has gotten to her head. And she hasn't even been in Washington that long. Can't remember if she's first or second term. She's not been there a long time, but she's become so drunk with power and with the, the self-righteousness of who she is and what she stands for that she actually thinks and the people who surround her, the Democrats, I might point out, who surround her in the January 6th committee telling her, oh, you're so brave, we're so proud of you, you're so brave. I mean, she is actually at that level of delusion that she thinks she could be taken seriously as a presidential candidate in 2024. Simply amazing. Okay, I did this to myself yesterday too, folks. I'm going to just tell you, here's the story. I want to do a segment, a lengthy segment, about what it is that Joe Biden is doing to America. I have a lot of information ready, a lot of bullet points, uh, you know, destruction of America in a whole host of ways. Um, and I want to do that. But I and not just uh, I, um, economic policy, on foreign policy, on choices he's made to be positions in the government. In every place you look, if you are trying to destroy a country, trying to weaken America, you would do exactly what Joe Biden is doing. It's, it's what you would do. If someone 
ask you to write the script, write an instruction manual. What should I do if I get to be president and I want to destroy America? And, and right here, um, you know, it, it's exactly the kind of things Biden is doing. It's simply amazing. There's no credible argument that he's trying to help and save America. However, I can say I'm almost out of time, um, and I don't want to lose our radio listeners on this. For the radio listeners, I want to mention two other things to you uh, before you go off to your ending and also to all of my audience. Um, I want to mention that we have this summit coming up in the fall. In the fall, our summit, this is the third annual Women for Freedom Summit. It's hosted by my show, America Can We Talk. It's here in Dallas on October 15th. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, you can see the speakers at our summit. Uh, these are all deeply thoughtful, deeply serious, uh, substantive speakers. Uh, this is not a, a summit where it's cheer, cheer, rah, rah, slogan slinging, very, very um, in-depth assessment of where we are in America today, what kind of challenges we face, why we have the challenges, how we can get out of them, what's really happening with the consequence of the policies we've embraced in America. So Emilio, I don't know if you have, my happy producer Emilio, if you have access to that file, I can put it up quickly. I'll quickly show you the flyer for our summit. Um, and I know before while he's uh, finding that, I will tell you that we have, uh, among the reasons I love this summit, and it's got great speakers, period, full stop. We actually have within our summit, a, a pretty extraordinary lineup of women leaders. And I say this because I think that we need strong, patriotic, pro-America, pro-Constitution, pro-limited government conservatives in this country speaking up. And I like that some of them are women and some are men. At our summit, uh, we have great speakers, period, full stop. Uh, among the women speakers who are extraordinary, Tina Peters, um, who's in the middle of battling for her race in Colorado. She ran for Secretary of State. And again, just like our recent episode, Carrie Lake, uh, for Governor of Arizona, uh, Tina Peters way ahead in the polling. Everyone knows she's way ahead. And all of a sudden, you know, in the case of Tina Peters in Arizona's um, Secretary of State race, which again, she'd be in charge of elections, uh, the complete rhino who had no campaign, no backing, no speeches, kind of know nothing, she's announced as the winner. And uh, Tina Peters, who was, you know, just just a, a rock star hero nationwide, she's, so she's speaking. So I got Tina Peters, I'm sorry, put that back up, Emilio, uh, that, that a flyer, yeah, thanks. Tina Peters is running, uh, Tina Peters is speaking, she's extraordinary, uh, Sydney Powell is speaking. And Sydney Powell, again, one of the leaders in this country, unwilling to succumb to or surrender to uh, what the left is doing, speaking up on election fraud, speaking up with the rule of law, speaking up on January 6th, she'll be extraordinary. We have two other women speakers I can't announce yet, but I'm telling you when we can announce them, uh, you will be clamoring to get your ticket. So you can go back to me now, Emilio. I just want to urge everyone listening to go to our website right now. Any, any summit like this, any big event like this, um, we of course need to sell tickets. Uh, we have tickets available on our website, americacanwetalk.org, or right there on the homepage, you can buy your tickets. Um, if you're a member of America Can We Talk, you would have gotten an email from us by now giving you the member discount, the secret promo code for a member discount. You can go on, buy tickets, put in the member's code, the little code uh, for a promo code to get a reduction in your ticket price if you're a member, um, and sign up. So we're getting signups. We also need sponsors. And so you'll see on that page, you can be a sponsor, great sponsor packages. You get to bring lots of people with you, bring more people to it. Um, and so I really urge you to take the time to look at that um, summit and consider uh, joining us because it's a very, very special um, time. It's a special time really to talk about America. Um, and, and to talk about where we are and the challenges we face. We have also Gordon Chang, a brilliant expert on China, who is going to be exploding with things to tell you about what's happening, the threat we face from China, never more real, never more serious than right now. Frank Gaffney, who I just spent time talking to on the phone this morning about China, everything happening, he's gonna be speaking. Uh, Sam Faddis, one of the best writers and thinkers imaginable, writes at AND Magazine. Uh, he's speaking about the whole host of issues he understands really well as his, uh, from his perspective as a long-term uh, CIA special operator, um, extraordinary knowledge he has about America. 
Um, we do have um, Evan Sayet speaking also, um, who is going to be talking about the woke supremacy, his book, Woke Supremacy, what's happening uh, to the woke world. So we have a great, great summit coming up. And I promise my listeners on Monday, I will get to talking about a lengthy list about Biden. But I don't want to jump in today and do it half-baked because it's too important for that. It's too important to leave off for that. So um, that that's what we have for our summit. One more thing in the summit I want to mention, uh, we have a brilliant expert uh, speaking to us about the Green New Deal. Uh, this is a gentleman from uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation named Jason Isaac, who can tell you all about how great fossil fuels are, how we need them, how CO2 is not a threat to our environment. If you listen to my show often, you know many, many scientists are saying this. He's going to talk about that. We also have uh, someone coming in uh, to talk about COVID policy. We have uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett, who um, broke the story in my show two years ago about the how effective inhaled budesonide was in treating COVID, how we didn't have to live in fear. We had a great medication available. He's become a spokesman for America, for truth. Uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett speaking. Uh, we have Kevin Freeman, who is the founder and the uh, main speaker at and the head of um, the um, war... Uh, Economics War Room, a uh, wonderful show he puts on every day or every week, puts on talking about, you know, the economic war against America and how we are being taken over and we are being harmed by economic policy by our enemies we don't even understand, our enemies attacking us in ways, China in particular, but other ones, and how this is really an economic war we are already in. Uh, vital to understand him. Uh, we have Lieutenant Colonel Matt Lohmeyer, who is a, an extraordinary American, former, former commander in the U.S. Space Force. He is going to be speaking about how Marxism has taken over America's military. I'm telling you guys, it is a fact-packed, information-packed, very high energy, very a wonderful summit. I really urge you uh, to come to the summit and um, and and you know walk away not just informed but inspired to know that you can make a difference. You can actually help our country uh, get back on track. So that is our um, that's our show for today. I think I do want to. I'm sorry to leave off the Biden part. I will hit it on Monday. But for now, I want to turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today. Hey, Melio, before you go, we got to skip the last slide because I didn't get to it, but why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show talking about the, um, the very opening was America's primary temperature taken. Um, the truth wins. Arizona earthquake pretty much MAGA defeated the Uniparty. Election day turnoff at Cary Lake Swamp, the vote tallying algorithms. I am sure this is what happened. Mark Fincham, anti-election fraud stalwart, 16-point win for Arizona Secretary of State. The person in charge of the election, this is who the voters wanted. Uh, Trump endorsed Blake Masters, win for the, wins the Senate nomination. Oh, Wendy Rogers, I love her. Wendy Rogers, a current state senator in Arizona, running again, challenged by a rhino, clobbered the rhino. Wendy Rogers wins her Senate seat, uh, her nomination again. Uh, January 6th, anti-Trumper Rusty Bowers lost his primary. Uh, too bad for you. Carrie Lake's win will shake the Uniparty. If we get to that point, uh, no can has been, candidate has been stronger on election fraud and border invasion. Lake, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you that I think this is what occurred. Carrie Lake experienced, and I believe just like uh, in the race, in the Kentucky governor's race back in 2018, uh, 2019, the Bevin versus Bashar Kentucky election rigging, I think it's exactly what happened with Kerry Lake. That, but anyway, Kerry Lake is going to beat this election rigging effort that did defeat the conservative Bevin in, in Kentucky. Winning strategy for MAGA ascendancy, big primary wins by fixed election fraud stalwarts, paves the way for true election integrity reforms. And Arizona, Michigan, and GOP's run-up. GOP establishment was all in for Carrie Lake's opponent. Mike Pence called on to endorse her, this rhino candidate, Karen Robeson. The fix was clearly in against Lake, but election day turnout overcame it, we believe. We don't have that final answer, I guess. GOP establishment has always ignored or played down November 20 irregularities. Yet Michigan's John Gibbs wins against pro-Trump impeachment rhino. GOP establishment not even eager for red wave blowout in 2022. If it's MAGA driven, I meant to say that about Ronald McDaniel. It's almost like as an establishment person, she'd rather have the MAGA agenda lose, even if it means Republicans lose, because she's not, she doesn't understand what the MAGA thing is all about. GOP establishment about to get run out of town. What will they do to resist? 
Deep State Alliance. Must figure that out. January 6th and Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney was the poster child for swamp defilement. Now 26 points down in the, in the Wyoming primary. Latches on to Castro supporting Kevin Costner for an endorsement. Exposed as leader of the pre-January 6th movement to keep the military out of D.C., yet tries to blame Trump for not delivering military protection. Obscures Trump's action to authorize military, rejected by Pelosi and Bowser. Believes everything is about herself and her righteous hatred of Trump. Complete loss of touch with the American people and especially the people of Wyoming. Yes, supported by George W. And get to this one is George W. Bush actually participated in a fundraiser for Liz Cheney. Wonder why people in Texas are down on George W. That'd be a good reason. Complete loss of touch with the American people and especially people of Wyoming. Yes, supported by George W., Paul Ryan, and Mitt Romney. Cheney is a proxy for the entire entire GOP establishment. The GOP base is fed up with the GOP ruling class. Massive changes are coming. And we shall skip the last slide I already made. And that, my very fine friends, is why it matters to you. I want to thank you for tuning into my show every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I want to remind you we are going to resume Thursday shows on the very first Thursday of September, September 1st. We have Congressman Louis Gohmert joining us in studio in Dallas. He'll be great. He always is. And we have a great lineup after that for the fall of wonderful Thursday in-studio guests. So tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can